If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter number 8. Today we're going to look at verse number 2 together. Very fascinating verse. We are on the theme of the security of the believer. And that will be the entire chapter. We're only on sermon number three. And uh, this section here is vital to our understanding of how secure we are in Christ Jesus. Verse number two says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Now, you might have heard something like this, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free. There are translation differences between me and you, and I really hope we can both say you and me. <laughs> Have you been set free? Well, that's they could debate all they want if it's me or you, but I hope it's both. Um, me and you. Let's just think it that way. Has set you and me free from the law of sin and death. This uh, passage is a fascinating one, and it's going to take a little work to help us understand it today. So we're going to have a word of prayer first, because it's best to always have the author teach us, and then we're going to illustrate after that. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for what you have done. The text says that you have set us free, and we would like very much to understand that today. Help us, Lord, in our study today. Help us to understand, work in our hearts, and above all things, drive us closer to yourself, that we may serve you better, live for you as we ought to, and worship you. Uh, These responses should come from a grateful heart, and I pray that ours will be grateful at the end of this study today. We thank you for it all, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to have volunteers that I will choose. Come up here. So I need Sid, of course. Sid, come here and help me out a minute. And uh, Steve, you're perfect for this job, too. So, Sid, I'm going to give you this. All right? And uh, Steve, I'll give you this. Dwight, I need you, too. Dwight can help us out, too. Look at this. All right. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, they're going to play a game. As soon as I say start, they need to get going. So, uh, start. Just so our audience would understand, what I have given to each of these men are unique items. One is holding a Christian flag. The second one is holding a hymn book. And the third is holding a couple of pine cones. Wow, that's pretty good. What were you doing? <laughs> how, how do you like playing games where they never explain the rules? They just say, oh, you'll catch on. You know, and then you just get started and you figure, I don't know if I, if I know what I'm doing. You're bound to lose, especially if somebody knows the rules and the rest don't. 
this is kind of a fun little thing, just a simple thing, but you guys, you helped me out this morning in a simple illustration. When we talk about law, we say, oh, it's a negative thing. We don't need law. Law, I mean, after all, we're set free, right? We're going to talk about law today, the value of law. That comes down to a simple illustration, the value of knowing the rules before you play the game, right? So thank you very much, a simple thing. You don't feel too bad, do you? No. <laughs> I was curious what he was going to do with this. Law. You saw the word in verse 2, didn't you? Set free from the law of sin and of death. And we think, well, that's a very good thing. And it is a good thing. It is a good thing. When we talk about these first four verses in regard to our security in Christ, there is the truth that we're secure from the past. We're free from judgment. And verse 1 through 4 tells us so when it talks about, therefore there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 3, for the law, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law cannot claim you, one commentator wrote. The law cannot condemn you. The law cannot control you. Because you are in Christ Jesus. Now I think those are interesting statements, but often misunderstood. And so we're going to work through that big word today, law. Because it does show up on our passage and we need to understand it. Uh, when I first moved here, I heard the story several times that there is no law in Hillsdale. I don't know if that's still true, but uh, there, there's a great little story. that If you haven't heard it yet, talk to Steve. He'll tell it to you. Um, there is no law in Hillsdale. Generally, we're perceiving law as a negative thing, aren't we? That's our general perception. Our culture feels as though law is so binding it has to go. Uh, they don't like being restricted. They don't like to be kept from their free display of their own actions or their own attitudes, and, and you see it. You see it in our society. You see it on the, on the television screen. Uh, we do have social problems in our land. We do have moral problems in our land, and I'm just saying that in the smallest measure of a huge, huge, huge spiritual problem. But... Sometimes you think that things have turned inside out. We, we see hostility. We see sinful behaviors. And they're imposed upon those who want to do what's right. And we have all those issues, but Scripture has told us that there is a time when people call wrong right and right wrong. Now, I'm not trying to be philosophic or anything of that nature here this morning, in a way. But... One aspect of mankind uh, ought to always be set as the foundation for understanding what goes on in our land, what goes on in our, our culture, our laws, and all these other things. On the day that God breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, man was created in the image of God. 
That's the way he designed it. Man was created in the image of God. You scratch off that image, and you have lost the value of our existence. You really have. You no longer take God into consideration. That's our problem. That's our problem. So very generally, when we talk about law, we have to unite that with God. Who is the author of the law? He is. He is. The law had a purpose. The law was to provide structure. The law was to reflect. Listen carefully. This is important. The law reflects the character and the glory of the one who invented it. It reflects the character and the glory of the one who invented it. Here's one simple verse. You've heard it before, but it comes from Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Their expanse declares the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. These heavens are screaming out every time we will listen the glory of God. The heavens are designed. The heavens operate according to God's principles, God's laws. Thankfully, they do. We haven't had the planet Mars smash through us because of God's great glory. The design of all these things, it's just an immense thing to think of. But this message is being declared to us constantly on the physical realm. Declaring the glory of God. Declaring the glory of God. Natural laws, with all the laws from morals to physics to any scientific law that comes along, that which is observable, that which is tested, you deal with gravity, you deal with space, you deal with relation, you deal with time, you deal with force, you deal with uh, friction, all these laws that are out there, the laws that you need for engineering. Some of you have built homes, and some of you do build homes. There are certain laws you must follow, or else your building will not stand. It's just simple principles, but nevertheless necessary. There's laws in baking. You put the right ingredients in the pot, at the right measure, you get the right result. Laws. There are laws in relationships, moral laws that God has set up. Our world has been breaking them left and right. We have a mess, and they're trying to solve that problem with other things, when they should go back to the source of it. They've broken God's law. We have laws all around us all the time, and they give us structure in order to live. They give us safety in order to live, but they all reflect the glory of our God. That's what they're designed to do, to bring us back to Him and understand the way He's designed things, and really to be in awe of what He has done. We're talking about His glory, aren't we? Is He not glorious? In every way? Yes, he is. Well, here's the fact. God's law is called glorious. In Romans chapter 7, you're right here. Back up, verse number 12. 
Let's look at a couple of little phrases, and you can underscore them and see what it says. It says in verse 12, So then, the law is holy. You see those words? Wow! That sounds like it's an important thing, right? The law is holy. Now, jump down to verse 14 and see what it says the law is. What do you see? The law is what? Spiritual. Does that sound important to you? Yes, it is. It didn't say dispensable. It didn't say replaceable. It said spiritual. God designed it. Now, one more to look at in verse 16. What is the law there? The last three words. The law is good. The law is good. So it is holy, it is spiritual, and it is good. Now tell me it needs to go. Tell me that it's, it's not for us. We want to get rid of such a thing. Our society thinks it needs to be removed. But Paul writes these words, and I'm going to read to you a handful of them. Second uh, Corinthians 3 verse number 7. And it's right in the middle of a whole uh, paragraph that's really, you've got to spend a lot of time to work through. And I'm just pulling out pieces, and I, I regret that I can't give you the whole passage. But he's comparing the law of Moses with what Christ has done for us. And uh, in that, he describes the law of Moses as that which is engraved on stones. You know, we have the... Uh, the Ten Commandments written on stone, and such like that. And it says in Second Corinthians 3, verse 7, But if the ministry of death, in letters engraved on stones, came with glory, and I stop right there. How did he give the law? With glory. Does that sound like it matches his character? It certainly does. He wrote this law, this old, dusty, hard, written on stone law, with glory. And then he goes on to talk about the ministry of the Spirit, who brings us even more glory. It's quite a contrast there. But again, in verse number 9 of that same passage, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 9, he says, For if the ministry of condemnation has glory... Now here's where it gets interesting, because the law condemns, condemns, condemns. And all of a sudden he just says, and that brings glory. And you say, uh-oh, <laughs> that doesn't sound like... There should be any glorious thing in condemnation. I know it might just pop a few circuits up here. God is glorified in justice and condemnation as much as he is in love and salvation. Because God is to be glorified in everything he does. Everything. Even in that, even in that. That's where modern theology takes a step back and says, no, 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 God is a God of love. God is a, only, only will save, I mean, you're save everybody. He just loves us. He's so kind. He's so benevolent. And, and they go on through that. And they forget the fact that he also is glorified in condemnation. They're cutting out half of the thing he does, really. You can't do that. The scripture says so. God had it written. For the ministry of condemnation has glory. I see it. And I say, okay. Okay, you look at the law of Moses, and you see that. It's a reality. It says, thou shall not. And what happens if you do? You die. The wages of sin is death. 
That's the law of Moses. We talk a lot about the law of Moses. And you say, okay, well, uh, what's that got to do with me? I'm not living in Israel. I'm not under the Old Testament economy. I'm not under the law of Moses. What's that? Uh, are you under the law of Adam? Adam had a law. Well, he had one. Wouldn't you love just one? Simple one. And of course, you would never have broken it. What was that law? Don't eat of the tree. And you know what they did. They ate of the tree. There was a law concerning Moses. God commanded that in Genesis 2.16. He said, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, and the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Man's response? He ate of it. Results? He died. Noah. Noah was given a law. Did you know that? Noah was given a law. God told that Noah and, and his family when they got off the ark in Genesis 9, verse 5, Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For, listen, in the image of God he made man. Wow, that takes us back to that original point, doesn't it? The way God designed man was to follow his law and to reflect his glory. And when they break it, they are working on the image that God has created in the first place. He says, From the, for the image of God, he made man. So Noah had a law, and then along came Moses. And God gave him the law, the law that we cite every time we talk about law, and these are the words that go along with that law. Now, I'm not going to read you Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But I'll read to you about five verses out of Psalms 19. Starts in verse 7. It goes to verse 11. He describes the law of Moses. The law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are to be desired more than gold, yea, than much fine gold. They're sweeter than the honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Does that sound like somebody who said, let's get rid of the law? No. They were reflecting on the glorious nature of that law, reflecting the glorious nature of their God. If you want a big, long passage on it, read Psalm 119. 176 verses to talk about how great the law is. <laughs> passages after passages. Here's our problem. The law is holy. The law is spiritual. The law is good. And we can't keep it. We can't keep it. Since it is perfect, 
we can't keep it. James would tell you in James chapter 2 verse 10, that he who keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he is guilty of all of it. Well, that just nailed it, didn't it? The results of the law are sin. The results of, in breaking, you've got sin. The results of the law are death. The condemnation, the consequence for sin. Summing up this simple thing, there's nothing wrong with the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect. The law does not bend. <laughs> the law does not change. Because it reflects the holiness of the Lord who spoke it. It reflects his character. Now, for those who say, but, you know, you're still talking about the law. Remember, Adam was given the law before he'd ever sinned. Right? He told him not to eat of it. Had Adam eaten before that day? No. God gave the law even before there was sin. Just a simple picture for you. But there's nothing wrong with the law. So what are we looking at in verse number 2? Romans 8, verse 2. It's not a statement against God's law. It's not. It's a statement about the law of God that condemns and punishes you and me. He's talking about the law of sin and the law of death. Not the law. You see the difference? See what I'm trying, I'm trying to make a distinction here. He's talking about the breaking of the law. He's talking about the consequence of breaking that law. He's not talking about the law. Matter of fact, Christ did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. He honored that law too. That was God's law and it was glorious. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8 verse 2. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. You know, there's another law in operation for you as a believer in Christ. Just as you thought that, well, if I get out from under the law, I'm going to be free. Guess what you just found yourself? To be under a new law. The law of who? The spirit. The law of the spirit is now your law. It operates in your life. And by the way, the Spirit's law has to do with life, doesn't it? It says so in the passage, the Spirit of life. And by the way, it goes on to add, in Christ Jesus. We'll see that in just a minute. But what does it accomplish? Because we are in Christ Jesus, we're set free from the breaking of and the consequence of the perfect law. We're set free from that aspect the breaking of and the consequence of the perfect law. Now, I'm curious at times to say, well, what do you mean by set free? Like we're released from it, it's been fulfilled, uh, has it all been erased? What, what, what does this mean? Here's a, a little word study for you. Now, I won't give you the Greek word. It's about this long and it's got almost every letter in the alphabet. But nevertheless, it means to liberate. It means to liberate. It means to be uh, set at liberty. 
Now, this is how they define it a little bit further in the lexicons. To be exempt from moral, ceremonial, or mortal liability. Those are heavy words, aren't they? Liability. What's that mean? I'm liable to I. I'm responsible for it. I'm accountable to it. Every time this word is used in the New Testament, I find it interesting. It's always in reference to sin and corruption. It's almost like God says, here's a great word for set free, and I'm only going to use it when I'm talking about the penalty for sin. And so, every time it pops up, matter of fact, here's one passage, it's, it's loaded in there. John chapter 8, verse 32, all the way through verse 36, it pops up several times there. And this is Jesus having a dialogue with the folks in Israel, uh, Pharisees, and he said to them in John 8.32, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's that word. Set at liberty, uh, exempt from the moral, ceremonial, or mortal liability. That's what the truth will make you free. And they answered him and said, We are Abraham's descendants. We have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that that you say you will become free. They have the wrong idea. They weren't linking it to sin at all. They were thinking of the physical slavery issue as to whether or not we've ever been slaves. Now, they have a very short memory because all you have to do is start in Exodus and guess what they are? Slaves. You go into Daniel and guess what they are? Slaves. And guess who they are to the Romans at the moment? Slaves? Oh, they can't see that. Well, they couldn't see it spiritually either. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone, he's going to define it, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Understand that? Commit sin? You're a slave of sin. Slave of sin. And a slave does not remain in the house forever. A son remains forever. And so if the son has made you free, you shall be free indeed. Set free from slavery of sin. That's the context there. Romans chapter 6. You're in Romans probably. Back up to verse number 18. Here it is again. And having been freed from sin, you became... Wait a minute. Do you see the word slaves there? You became slaves? I thought we were set free from that. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Have you ever considered yourself a slave of righteousness? Contemplate that one for a while. Because that's what you are. No matter of fact, verse number 22, same passage. And now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. Whoa, there it is again. You're enslaved to God. You derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. Then he says that powerful little verse, for the wages of sin is death. Now, in other words, you're one or the other. You are either a slave in sin to sin and not free. You have the consequence of sin, which is death, upon you. Or you have been set free from that consequence and you are now enslaved by God. 
in righteousness and sanctified and you have eternal life. You want to pick which one you prefer today? Pretty easy to make that decision, isn't it? You know what that is? That's the law of the Spirit. The law of the Spirit that he's talking about here in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. That's the law of the Spirit. Back in Romans 8, we could go jump down to verse 21, and it says that the creation itself also will be set free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There's a great little theme just keeps getting woven around in this passage. And it talks about even the nature that we live in is under bondage to corruption. But it will be set free. And it will all reflect in the glory again. And then in verse uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, I'll just read this to you. For it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. He's talking about sin in that context too. So all of these verses set the contrast between being a slave to sin and corruption or being set free by Jesus Christ set free from the consequences. That's the contrast given all the way through here. And here's the beauty of it. When this verse is, Romans 8, 2 pops up and it says, you have been set free. He uses this great little tense. We call it the aorist tense. I have to give you at least a little Greek grammar here. An aorist tense is something done. Done. Not something slowly being done. Like God's working a file on your chain and it's going to take him about 14 years, but hang in there, he'll get it through. Uh, many times we look at things like that. We look at sin and we say, well, I've got a bondage to the sin and, you know, I've got to work through this and I, I'm going to try this and I'm going to try that and I'm going to work my way out of this. When God sets you free, you're free. It's done. That's the nature of the verse. You have been set free. Done. Put a period right there if you want. That's what he's talking about. It is done in one moment. It's not repetitious. It's done. You've been moved from here to there, and it's done. I love those words. I'm talking about secure from your past. Many times we're trying to slowly evolve <laughs> over to this side. Working our way when God has already done it. He's already done it. This is a passage that's so little, it's so powerful. Matter of fact, Romans 8-2 answers verse number 1. Verse number 1 was pretty much saying, how is it possible that we could have no condemnation? The answer is simply here, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. There's your answer. You've been set free. You've been set free. Qualify that by his life. Qualify that in Christ Jesus. There is freedom in no other place, by the way. No other place. There's no other religion on earth that gives you freedom from the bondage of sin and death. None. Only in Christ Jesus. God designed it that way. That's His law. It's a spiritual law, but it's His law. And He will not change it. God has designed life. How to live, how not to live. God has designed the rewards for right living. 
the punishment for wrong living. God has declared the penalty for sin. It's death. God has given the remedy for sin. It's Christ Jesus. Is that simple? Straightforward. Right there it is. He's made one solution for it all. Christ Jesus. One solution. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Period. He said, where is that from? John 3. That's just, by the way, the next verse says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Uh, whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, okay, help me understand this. Well, there was a day, back in the days of Moses. Here he is again. Moses and the people that he was wandering, we say wandering in the wilderness, uh, 40 years of putting up with complainers. How would you like that job? 40 years of it. And yet, he was the meekest man on earth, Scripture says. Uh, even when God said, all right, Moses, I've had it with them. Step aside. I'm going to wipe them out and start over with you. Moses still prayed for them. And then 20 minutes later, he says, why did I pray for them? No, he probably didn't. But he, he dealt with these people all these years. Well, they were in a habit of complaining. A terrible habit of complaining. And it so happened in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, there they were again. They went out from Mount Hor, by the way, the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom, and they became impatient because of the journey. And the people spoke against God. And they spoke against Moses. And they said, you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. you got to say that with that whiny voice. You brought us out here to kill us. There's no food, there's no water, and we loathe this miserable food. Do you know what they just referenced? Manna. We hate it. We can't stand it anymore. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among them. Your favorite thing. Right? You love fiery serpents in the backyard. Fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people. Many of the people of Israel died, it says. And the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned. Yes. We spoke against the Lord and against you. So intercede with the Lord, they said, that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord did not take away the serpents. Say, what? No, he didn't. The Lord said, No, this is what you're going to do, Moses. You're going to make a fiery serpent. Make it. Yeah, get some bronze. Shape it in the form of a snake. Now, that doesn't happen in 20 or 30 seconds. All the while, these serpents are all over the place, still biting people. He says, work on this. Go build yourself a bronze snake. Sounds like a perfect remedy, doesn't it? You got the flu, so I'll give you the flu. Now, you say, how does this work? He made a bronze serpent. He says, I'll put it up on a pole, a standard. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, he looks at it, he will live. Now, does that sound like a typical remedy for sin? Not at all. Look at it. By looking at it, that means you believed what he said, and you followed his orders. And it goes on to say that Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the standard. It came about that if a serpent bit a man, he looked at the bronze serpent. 
he lived. Implied in that is that some didn't. Some didn't. When we read verse number 2 in Romans 8, it talks about the fact that Christ Jesus sets you free. He quoted that passage about himself. The Son of Man be lifted up. You look to Him. You believe in Him. You have eternal life. Set free. That's what moves us from one side to the other. Jesus Christ and belief in Him. That's the only way you're set free from your past. But let me mark this and say it very carefully, but as loudly as I can. Because it's what He's done, you are secure in that. You did not do it. You did not do it. He did it. And as long as he is God, his law will not change. Never will it change. That's what I mean by secure. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are secure in that because it's based on him and not on you. That's what the passage is saying. What a powerful thing it is that he has set us free from the law of sin. Remember, he took sin upon himself. And the law of death, because he died in our place. He took our place. So it's very natural. In a spiritual way, I just say it's so natural. That if he's done all that for us and we're in him, then it's done. It's done. That's secure. Do you like that position? I love it. I love that. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. The law of sin and the law of death cannot claim you. Cannot. In Christ Jesus, it's done. All right. So where are you today? I said you're in one or the other. You're either still trying to figure this out, and you're under your sins, and you have no remedy, but you think maybe if you try hard enough, you might impress God. (laughs) Give it up. There's no partiality with Him. He doesn't measure according to what you can do. But you're still struggling under it, and you say, well, someday I'm going to work my way over to that. You don't need to someday work your way over to that. Jesus Christ has done it. Have you believed in Him? That's what it takes to stand on this side. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's about as simple as I could say it. But that's what God has said. So I just ask you this morning as we go into prayer, if you're still dealing with sin issues, if you're not sure that you're in Christ Jesus, talk to him about it. He knows. (laughs) He will convict the heart. He'll show you what to do. But if you are in Christ Jesus today, let me say two things to you. Number one, be thankful. I mean, we have to be the most joyful people on the planet. Right? Number two, if sin is still dominating in your life, stop it. Simple answer. But there's our problem. We sometimes think, well, we're still over here. You're not over there. Live like you're here in Christ. If you've got a a crippling type of problem, take it to Him. There's your answer. He sets free. That's what He's done. 
Heavenly Father, you know every heart in this room, where we stand with you, where we've been standing this last week, this last month, this last year. You know everything. So there's nothing hidden from your sight. Lord, I'm thankful that we're not hidden from your sight, that you look down upon us, and even you look upon us with favor, with love, with mercy, with kindness, and without giving up one one little piece of your righteousness, your holiness, your right to condemn, your right to kill, your right to cast into a lake of fire forever in judgment. You did not diminish one piece of that when you allowed and gave your Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our stead. And only through Him do we have this freedom. Only through Him are we set free from this sin and this death. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that. What you have done is, is beyond our words to express and even our worship to respond. But we thank you, Lord, for what you have done. And Lord, you know every heart here. And if there is somebody here who has never made a profession for Christ, never seen the value of the crucified one, never received responded to that love, never responded to that gift, may it be right now. Right now do they understand, because your Spirit is in them, to help them to see it, convicting a heart, showing them the truth. May they see Jesus Christ and what he has done, and may they come to knowledge of faith in him. Today you might change somebody forever. And we rejoice in that, for you have changed us forever. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.